0: All right, welcome, everybody here in, in Waukesha. A big welcome to everybody over in Pewaukee and, and those of you online, wherever you are. Maybe you're watching on your phone, and you're on your television, on your uh, computer. By the way, if you're watching online, at the end of the message, we're going to do a little activity together where you'll need uh, pen and paper, or you could use your phone, the notes in your phone. want to let you know so that you can uh, participate as we uh, begin a brand new series today called Hills, the Hills that We Die On. That I think is going to be really, really important uh, for our church and for all of us. Speaking of our church, I want to let uh, everyone know about a transition that's coming up at our Pewaukee uh, campus. Many of you know that uh, Dave Kowal, Pastor Dave, took a step of faith about three and a half years ago. And started serving as campus pastor in, in Pewaukee. And uh, Dave and his wife Sharon and their family have done just a fantastic job launching, leading, growing the Pewaukee uh, campus. God's blessed and changed so many uh, lives. But I want you to know that uh, Dave has decided to retire by the end of the year and will be helping us transition to a new campus pastor, which we will be announcing uh, soon. And so would you join me? Let's take a moment and show our appreciation to uh, Pastor uh, Dave Cole. Really appreciate, really grateful for his, his faith. And uh, his, his, his leadership and uh, his, his pastoring in uh, Pewaukee. Well, if you've ever done a, a workout program or if you've ever worked with a fitness trainer or a physical therapist, you probably know and have been told about the importance of core strengthening. How many of you have ever been uh, told about the importance of core <laughs> strengthening? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, your core uh, are the uh, muscle systems in the middle of your uh, body. About a year and a half ago, the gym where I go ran a special, uh, three sessions with a trainer at a really low price, so I did it. I signed up for it, and it was all about core uh, strengthening, and I'd never done these exercises before, some of them, and I got so sore... That uh, I did the first two sessions and I just put off scheduling that third session, procrastinated a little bit, and then COVID hit. And so I still haven't gotten around to that uh, third session. But nowadays, I mean, every physical therapist and fitness trainer teaches the importance of core uh, strengthening. Last week I talked with a fitness trainer and I just asked him, I said, why is core strengthening? So important, and he really helped me understand. Here's what he said. He said, "He said if you don't strengthen your core muscles, it's like uh, firing a cannonball out of a canoe." And he sent me a picture. He emailed me this picture. Isn't this is a great illustration? If you fire a cannonball out of a canoe, uh, it's not going very far. It's a dud, right? And in the same way, core strength gives you foundation and leverage and power. And, and by the way, I watched all of you stand and sit down earlier in the service, which takes core muscles, and you were very impressive, uh, by the way. Uh, way to go. And so I'm going to leave the uh, ab workouts to you, your, your, your fitness trainer, and your uh, program. The core that I want to talk about strengthening is our core identity, the core values uh, that we have Together as a church and as individual followers of Jesus. And here's why this is so important. The longer a church exists, the more likely it is to lose core strength. Uh, The longer a church exists, the more likely it will lose core strength. And it will just start shooting uh, cannonballs out of a canoe. And not make it a big impact for Jesus. A few years ago, I was walking around a downtown of a large city. And I saw all these beautiful church buildings. That used to be filled with inspiring music and worship and teaching. And now they're filled with uh, coffee shops and bakeries and spas and art galleries. Because the longer a church exists, the more likely it loses core strength. And eventually it dies. And so today we begin a new series called Hills That We uh, Die On. And uh, each week we're going to talk about a specific hill... Or, a core value that is just critically important to our mission of making more and better followers of Jesus. But I want you to notice the pronoun we. It it takes all of us. This isn't just us corporately as a church, it's also us individually strengthening these core values together so that we can make a bigger impact for Jesus for many years to come. Today, I want to start with a question to get us thinking about the same hill. The same core value. Have you ever lost something that mattered, really mattered uh, to you? Maybe maybe your purse, or a, a wallet, or your keys, or maybe a pet. And what did you do when you realized that you lost something? Those of you that are parents, you ever lost a child? Yeah, even for a short period of time. Yeah, we did. I'll never forget this. It was 15 years ago. We were on this vacation. Here's a picture that I have in my office. We took a vacation. We stopped in Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, this is my wife, Marnie, our daughter, Taylor, our son, Will, and the little guy in front is Ryan. He was eight years old at this point, at this point. and we had a great time walking around Washington, D.C., seeing all the sights, and then we went over to the White House, and there was a large crowd around the White House. You squeeze your way through the crowd to try to see the White House. And we squeezed through this large crowd. I remember standing there looking at the White House, just mesmerized. And then all of a sudden I realized, where's Ryan? We have lost Ryan. Uh, we, we looked everywhere. Did, did, did somebody take him? I remember my heart started pounding. I felt alarmed and panicked. We, we searched fervently. Fortunately, a, a security guard found Ryan wandering around by himself and, and protected him. And we hugged and embraced Ryan, and we thank this uh, security guard. We felt so relieved. And uh, it was only five minutes, but it felt like forever. But here's one thought that never went through my, my mind. It, it's no big deal. We still have two other kids. We still have Will and, and Taylor. No, 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 no. When you lose somebody that you love, you will do anything to find and save him or her. Now, you know, the truth is that most of us are are never going to lose a a child or a friend physically by abduction. But all of us risk losing somebody for eternity. All of us have friends. All of us have neighbors. And maybe family members who face eternal separation from God and from us unless they're invited into a a relationship with, with God and they accept that invitation. That, that's why we should live with a sense of urgency to reach those who are far from, from, from God. Because the, the only thing that's worse than being separated from somebody for, for, uh, on earth is to be separated from them for eternity. And that's why the heart of God and the heart of this church is to lead as many people as we can to the God who loves them and wants a saving relationship with them. This core value is so important that Jesus uh, talked about it in, in Luke chapter 15, and he told three stories about it, rapid fire, back to back to back. In Luke 15, the story of the lost sheep, and the lost coin, and then the lost son, to teach us What the heart of God is really uh, like. All three stories make the same point. Something is lost and it really, really matters to somebody. The lost sheep matters to the shepherd. The lost coin matters to the woman. The lost son really, really matters to the uh, dad. But I want you to understand why Jesus told these three stories at this particular moment. It's because these religious leaders criticized Jesus for spending time with sinful kinds of people. And so Jesus turns to these religious leaders, and I want you to see what he says to them because they were criticizing him for spending time with sinful kinds of people. Jesus says to these guys, suppose one of you has a a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he calls his friends and neighbors together And he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then Jesus goes on and he says, "Or, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it, and when she finds it, She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost uh, coin. Now remember, Jesus spoke these words to these religious leaders who criticized him for spending time with sinful kinds of people. In fact, right before he told the first story, the story of the lost sheep, it tells us what these religious leaders were thinking. In verse 2, here's what they were saying about Jesus. He welcomes sinners and he eats. With them, In other words, Jesus doesn't just put up with sinners. He doesn't just tolerate sinners. He sits down with them and he eats with them. He likes them. He welcomes them. This verse reminds me of a uh, famous uh, TV commercial. Those of you that are over the age of 40, you'll probably remember this commercial. It is one of the longest running commercials in the history of television. It made the top 10 greatest commercials of all time. There's three brothers, three little brothers, and they had never tried life cereal uh, before. And so, you know, one of the brothers takes uh, the life cereal, bowl of life cereal, and uh, he says, you know, I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to risk it. Let's get Mikey to try it. He hates everything. And uh, Mikey, you know, takes a spoonful and tries it, and he loves it. In fact, I want you to see the commercial. It's real short. Take a look. Look at this stuff. Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Anybody remember that commercial? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that commercial reminds me of this verse. Just like Mikey and life cereal, Jesus doesn't tolerate sinners or put up with them. He likes sinners. He hangs out with them. He welcomes them. Jesus loves sinners. He likes sinners. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, got seething mad because they didn't think Jesus should do that. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you two truths about Jesus from these verses. And I hope all of us will allow these truths to sink into our hearts because this is the heart of God. And this is the heart of this church. This is a hill that we would uh, die on. Here's the first truth. Jesus cares about lost people more than anything else. I want you to see this key verse that Jesus uh, says uh, about the shepherd that lost one sheep. He says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, in our culture today, we might say, you know, why risk leaving the 99 and going after The one lost sheep, a businessman, a businesswoman might do the math and say, you know, that doesn't make sense. Let's just write that one off as a business expense, but not in the first century, not in the ancient culture. They valued and cared about every sheep. Take a look at what the terrain uh, looked like where they would take sheep to find pasture. You can see how easily a sheep could get lost and how dangerous it would be. Everybody in the audience that day hearing Jesus teach would have agreed that a good shepherd will go to any length to find a lost sheep. And then the woman lost her coin. And Jesus says, won't she search every corner of her house and leave the nine safe coins? To find that one lost coin. And the point Jesus makes to these religious guys is that God cares more about one who is lost than the 99 who are safe and sound. And I think you would probably feel the the same way When, when, when you lose something valuable. Maybe a pet or a purse or a wallet or your keys. The fact that you have a bunch of unlost stuff really doesn't matter when you lose something Uh, Valuable. I lost something valuable last uh, November. I still can't believe that I did this. I bought a new iPhone, brand new iPhone. And uh, one one night, Marnie and I decided to go for a walk outside, get some exercise. We went over to West Dallas, where I grew up, about 10 miles from uh, Waukesha. And it was kind of cold out, so when I got out of the car, I put my phone on the trunk for a a, a moment uh, while I put on an extra layer of clothing. Then we went for about a 45-minute walk, and then we drove 10 miles home. I got home. And I couldn't find my phone and I realized oh no I think I left it on the trunk of the car and so we uh, went back and searched but it seemed hopeless I mean the the phone probably flew off the trunk could have could be anywhere on the roadside over that 10 mile stretch but then I remembered something I've got an app on my phone called uh, find my phone and uh, we rushed over to the store where I got it, and they said, yeah, find my phone. That'll pinpoint the location of your phone. And so they typed in my information, but I had never turned on uh, find my phone. So learn from my mistake. If you have an iPhone, make sure you activate, turn on, uh, find my phone. It might save you a lot of money. It might save you a lot of hassle because I not only lost my phone, I lost my driver's license, I lost my credit cards that were in the case, uh, with my phone. I lost my Dairy Queen punch card, which is what I miss the most. I'm kidding about the Dairy Queen card, but the rest is, is all true. But here's my point. When I lost my phone, I didn't say, but I'm glad I have my keys. I'm glad, so glad I have my keys. I lost my phone, but I have my keys. No, 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 no. no, no. When you lose something valuable, the fact that you have some unlost stuff doesn't matter. You focus entirely on what is lost. A few years ago, I went on a mission trip to Mexico with people from our church, about 40 of us. Imagine if 40 of us got on the bus and we left, 40 of us, and then 39 of us came back. You know, we're not going to say, well, you know, 39 out of 40, that's a pretty good percentage. Let's just write off that one person. No, 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 no. The fact that we have 39 unlost people, it, it doesn't matter. We're going to obsess about finding that one lost person. Here's what this means for us. The people who are not sitting next to you today, the people who are not watching on, online, those who are not yet in a relationship with God matter more to God than anything else. Now, of course, God loves the 99 who are safe and, and sound. The, the, the point is not to devalue the 99. God loves everyone uh, equally and you know what as a church uh, by the way we're so grateful I mean for those of you that follow Jesus and never wander away we thank God uh, for, for, for you uh, for those of you who uh, serve and pray and give and, and make it possible for us to be a church where lost ones can be found but Jesus told these stories because the religious leaders of his day they didn't care about lost people they didn't care about those who were disconnected from God and messed up by their sin. All they cared about was the 99 who believed and behaved the same as as they did. And I bring this up because the gravitational pull in most churches is toward the 99 and not the one. It's almost always to cater to those of us on the inside of the church. You know, those of us who, you know, we know where to park, uh, we know where to get coffee, uh, we know where to sit, and we might get a little put off when somebody else is is sitting in our seat, right? It it doesn't take long for any of us to start thinking, you know what, it's all for us. It's all about us and not care about those that God wishes were sitting next to us. And these religious leaders are going, Jesus, Jesus, what do you mean by all this? Jesus, are you, are you saying that God is more concerned with, with sinners that we wouldn't even allow into our houses than, than God is concerned with you know, those of us who have spent our whole life doing the, the right thing? And Jesus would say, yeah, but he's not insulting them. He's pointing out to them the need that all of us have for a shepherd to lead and direct our lives. See, Jesus describes all of us as sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. On our own, sheep get lost and end up in places that they don't want to be. Sheep are not the brightest animals. Did you know that? I read this a news story out of, out of Turkey, actual news story, 1,500 sheep followed each other off a cliff. 400 sheep, 400 of them died uh, Eleven 1, hundred of them uh, didn't die apparently because they had a cushion, you know, when they, <laughs> and they uh, landed. But you would think that one of them would pause for a moment and say, "You know what, Eddie uh, went over that cliff and he never came back, and so maybe I should pause and, and and reflect on that before I keep walking." But the sheep just says to himself, "I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a try because it doesn't seem like a bad idea uh, to me." <laughs> sheep are not the brightest. Animals. Look at what look at what Scripture says here. Prophet Isaiah. We all we're like sheep, and we've gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. It's true about me. On my own, I'm going to get lost. I'm going to go astray, and you are too. And that's why Jesus cares more about lost about lost people than anything else. That's the first truth about Jesus. Here's the second one. There's no list with Jesus. Take a look at this verse again, where the religious leaders criticized him, and they said, "Jesus welcome sinners." And eats uh, with them. Now, Scripture refers to all of us as sinners. Notice that word, sinners. I mean, we're all sinners, according to Scripture. But here's what the religious leaders did. They They made a separate list of really bad sinners, like a blacklist. And if you, let's say you drank too much or you slept in too many wrong beds, you know, they would put you on that really bad list and you were considered hopeless and written off. But Jesus has no list jesus loves all people he loves all sinners equally and this is why these religious leaders criticized and conspired to kill jesus because he has no list and so let me ask you a difficult question who's on your list who in your mind is so sinful so lost that you think there's no way that jesus could love that person maybe somebody who doesn't behave like you or vote like you, maybe a family member, maybe it's a coworker, or a certain ethnic group or a certain religious group or people with a certain social or sexual viewpoint. Who's on your list? Who is that for you? And I know that's a tough question, but it's important to understand that Jesus loves every lost person and he will go to any length to rescue them. This is the heart of Jesus. This is a hill he literally died on. And so here's what it means for us uh, today. Here's how I would would say it. Here's the first hill. We value the one over the 99. We value the one over the 99. That's the core of who we are and what we're about as a church and as followers of Jesus. This is a hill that we would die on. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you two questions. I want to ask everybody two questions. Somebody asked me this first question about nine months ago, and I have not stopped thinking about it. I can't shake this uh, question, and uh, I hope it sticks with you, too. I need this question. Here's the first question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's that person in your life who doesn't follow Jesus? Who's that person that you love and serve and give yourself uh, to? Who's that person you have faith conversations with them when that time Comes up, who's you're 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 a safe person that they can ask uh, questions uh, to. Who's your one? Who's your one? Now I'm not saying that you know you've got to be pushy or that you've got to force your faith into every single uh, conversation. Don't be like the guy in the movie theater. This woman walks up to this guy in a movie theater and she says, "Is this seat saved?" And he says, "No." But the question is, "Are you saved?" That's probably not the best approach. Uh, to use you don't have to be clever or pushy be kind wait for the right opportunity I like this sign out front of a coffee shop that said uh, small coffee uh, three or five dollars small coffee please three dollars hello one small coffee please dollar 75 be kind be kind to ones don't, you, don't cram your, your beliefs down anybody's throat. You know what? You're probably not going to reach anybody that you don't respect. But the question is, who's your one? Who's your one? Somebody asked me that question last fall, and I've become more intentional. It's gotten me more intentional about this. I, I push myself a little bit more in this uh, area. Last summer, I injured my leg a little bit, and my doctor sent me for some therapy, physical therapy, and I got to meet a new physical therapist and of course he gave me core strengthening exercises no surprise there but he also did some other treatments every week for several months and i really got to know this guy and really enjoyed talking with him we had conversations about all kinds of subjects he asked me what i do he asked me about church christmas time came my wife was making some candy I took some of the candy, put it in a bag. Our music team here at church recorded music, put it on a CD. I put one of those CDs in the bag, and I wrote a thank you note. I said, thank you for being a great therapist. And I invited him to our Christmas service in person or online. I gave the bag to him. He thanked me. But I don't know if he's there yet. And so I'm going to keep praying for him, and I'm going to keep looking for ones that I can help and serve to find their way to the good uh, shepherd. You know, you never know how God's gonna use you to reach somebody and the kind of impact that it will make. I want you to hear this story. Take a look at the uh, screens.
1: I basically just had a relationship um, with Amy because of the fact that our girls were really close. You know, by nature of our lives, we're together a lot and we just we just talked and we hung out and we were neighbors. We lived in this you know, same neighborhood a couple blocks apart from each other. So it was really just a relationship I built. I wasn't building it with the intention of I'm going to practice discipleship with this person. That's, that wasn't the point. It was just a relationship church was a part of our lives. It was so deeply entrenched into our family that when our our youngest daughter and Amy's youngest daughter were good friends, uh, our daughter asked her daughter to go to church with us the next day. And that's where the, the initial um, invitation came. And then from there, other invitations folded out. And I remember we were actually at um, our youngest daughter. we were at her birthday party and I remember it was Country Springs Hotel and so I was sitting there talking with Amy and I said oh well you live like two blocks away we're going to church tomorrow why don't you just follow us to church and that's how the whole family ended up kind of coming along after that I didn't really think about the impact much until much later. It was actually relatively recently and we are talking. I don't know. It's been like 10 12 years or something since this happened Amy had said to me that Reggie, you don't get it this you it changed everything it changed our entire family and You know, we forget those impacts we forget that there's that every one of those moments, every one of those invites, every one of those asks, you know, it it could be one of those pivot moments in a person's life. And in in this case it was a it was a pivot moment in that entire family's life. Then we started to, you know, they joined us at our small group and it became, you know, even deeper. That's when you move from just like friends to community to family. And I know fully that I could go to Amy with anything and she would drop everything to be there for me. And she knows fully that she could come to me with anything and we would I would drop everything for her. Because once you kind of experience just growing in faith together and growing toward one another in community, that's kind of a forever thing. We get each other and we do life together.
0: Yeah, I love that story. Let's, uh, let's give it a hand to uh, Reggie for sharing that story. Great story. Great story. Amy was a one many years ago, and uh, Reggie had a relationship with her, a friendship with her, and invited Amy and her family to River Glen, and, and uh, they started coming and, and following Jesus. Now, here we are years later, and Greg and Amy, our leaders in our church, Amy works on our staff and does a fantastic job. You probably see her up here um, on, on stage. And you never know who God will reach through your efforts, through you, and the impact that it will make. Who's your one? All of us were a one at some point. Who's your one? Maybe the person for you is a spouse or a family member, maybe a, a neighbor, a a friend a coworker maybe it's somebody that you just uh, interact with in your daily routine who is that for you maybe it's somebody that you already invited you invited them to come to church and the person said no no not interested not now and you're tempted to give up i want to encourage you don't give up keep praying For that person, don't give up because God isn't giving up. Remember, nothing is more important uh, to God. God cares about lost people more than anything else. Some of you might be like, "Well, Ben, if I'm honest, I don't have one. I don't don't even have. I don't even have one. That's okay. That's okay. Listen, uh, be honest and pray and ask God to give you one, and He will. I think He'll open your eyes. You're going to see that ones are everywhere. They're all around. They're at work, they're at school, in the neighborhood. Who's your one? That's the first question. And then here's the second question. Will you begin praying for your one? Here's what is so amazing about praying for ones. Let's say you start praying for your one, and uh, you ask God, would you open their heart to you? God, would you open my heart to them? God, would you help this person see how much you love and care for them? God, would you begin to do in their life, what you've done in my life. You start praying for your one and it can change the other person and it will also change you because you're going to begin to see God working in you and through you. And that's true not just about this hill. This is true about every hill we're going to talk about in this series. All these hills are going to strengthen and build your faith and fill you with joy. I want you to imagine something. Imagine a year from now. Fast forward to a year from now, and you're sitting in, in, in one of our services. How are you going to feel a year from now when you're sitting in a service or watching online, and you realize that your one <clears throat> is also in the service, maybe sitting right next to you? How are you going to feel? You are going to be filled with joy, and you're going to go, God, thank you for allowing me to be part of what you're doing in this other person's life, and you can celebrate with them for all eternity. Nothing fills us with joy like finding a lost uh, one. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to invite all of us to uh, take out that card that you were handed when you walked in. It says, who's your one on the top? I think it's actually the insert in that handout. Go ahead and take that out. If you're watching online, you can just use a piece of paper or you can use the notes on your phone. We're going to give everyone a moment to write down a name on the blank. Write down the name of your one. You can pray and ask God, God, who do you want to be my one? God, who do you want to reach through me? Write that name down. And then I want you to take a moment and begin to pray for that person. God, would you open their heart to you? God, would you open my heart to them? God, would you help that person to see how much you love and care for them? God, would you begin to do in their life what you've done in uh, my life. In fact, let's, let's pause right now. Let's just take a moment and do this together. Write down a name on your card. I'm going to write down a name on, on mine and begin praying for them. Let's, let's take a minute and do that together.